If you would, uh, let's open up God's Word and turn to John's Gospel in chapter 4, where we're going to look at the story of the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. This morning, we're beginning a new series called Ecclesia. That's just simply the Greek word for the gathering, for the church, uh, for the assembling together of God's people. What we're going to attempt to do over the next several weeks is we're going to ask just some basic fundamental questions about what the church is and the purpose of the church and what we are supposed to be doing as we prepare to hopefully, in in God's grace, reopen up our church and small groups and our ministries as we believe that COVID is hopefully on its heels and uh, we are going to begin to uh, experience a a new freshness of ministry here within the life of our church uh, and as we seek to become a church that is for our city as we allow God to use us and to use our, our gifts. This morning, we are simply wrestling with the question, what is the gospel? If you're going to be the church, you have to understand fundamentally what is the gospel. Uh, The older I get in ministry and the more I talk to senior saints and the more I talk to the 30-year-olds and the 20-year-olds and the teenagers and everybody in between, the more convinced I become that often we don't fully understand the gospel and its implications in our lives moving forward. Too many of us for too long believe that the gospel was just some prayer that we prayed when we were younger, when, when perhaps God saved us and don't fully understand what it means to have the gospel to permeate every single thing that I do with my life and how it affects and how it shapes how I'm a dad and and how I'm a husband, how I'm not only a pastor and an elder, but just a brother or sister to someone that needs us. You see, the gospel of Jesus is this thing that is not just a prayer that we pray and then we move past that gospel. To put it in another way, the gospel of Jesus, it's the house that we're going to live in not some tertiary act that we commit or say. The gospel has far-reaching implications on our lives, even in the age of COVID in the day in which we live. I find it helpful in understanding the gospel to turn to one of my favorite, really evangelistic passages that exists within the scripture, particularly found in John chapter 4 with this story of the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. And so if you would join with me as we look, beginning in verse 1, where the text reads as follows. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to a a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field of Jacob that had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well, verse 6, was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour of the day. Now, a couple of things are happening in these beginning six verses of this story in John chapter 4. One of the first things that we notice is that Jesus travels through a to a mysterious place called Samaria. Now, One of the things or several of the things that we need to understand because Jesus is about to encounter this Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus being a Jew with his fellow travelers, the Jews despised the Samaritans. 
And one of the reasons they despise them so much is really just rooted in, in biblical history that helps us understand. And having an awareness of the Old Testament will help inform our understanding of this text this morning. You see, back in the day, in about the 7 and 800 BC, before uh, really Jesus had, had come as the incarnate word, and uh, there was the nation of Israel. And it was divided up into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, began to do things in their own way. They turned their backs on the Lord. They began to do what was right in their own eyes. And so when you begin to do that as a people, God will judge you. And so one of the ways that God judged his people was by allowing them to be taken into captivity around the time of 722 B.C., and this captivity consisted of this Assyrian army coming in and just desolating the northern kingdom. Now, when you were conquered as a people back in this moment, one of two things happened to you. Uh, you were either killed uh, and, and, and murdered, or you were taken off into captivity to become a slave to the Assyrians who conquered you. If you were one of the lucky ones, they would leave you behind, and, and you would be there, and you would be what was known as the remnant. Now, the remnant was there primarily because when the Assyrians sought to repopulate the northern kingdom, they took their Assyrian people and they ventured down to the northern kingdom. And these Assyrians began to intermarry with this remnant that existed. Now, when these Assyrians got together with these Jews and these remnants of the northern kingdom, they became what was known as the Samaritans. And so these Samaritans were the, the children and the grandchildren uh, of hundreds of years of these kinds of relationships. One of the things that the northern kingdom people that were conquered began to do as they began to intermarry with the Assyrians, they began to adopt and they began to bring in the religion of the Assyrian people. And they began to blend it together with their Judeo values and, and what they held to be true about God's word, particularly in the Old Testament. Now, to magnify this, you have these Samaritan folks who were loathed by the Jews of the southern kingdom, and they were despised. And about a hundred years before Christ, there was this Jewish defector in the southern kingdom named Manasseh who, who gets tired of the religious establishment in the south, and he moves up to the northern kingdom in the midst of these Assyrians. And he begins to bring a, a stronger belief of, of Judaism in the midst of these Samaritan people. And so they begin to establish their own temple for worship and begin to revere their own mountains. And they have places like Jacob's Well uh, that have significant understanding uh, to the Jew that's rooted in history. And so, therefore, these Jews in the southern kingdom absolutely despised and loathed the Samaritans. It was even said, if you were in Jesus' day and in His time, that Samaritans would go well out of their way to walk around this little region of Samaria to get to different parts of the northern kingdom. And they did this for two particular reasons, not just because the Samaritans uh, were, were so despised, but if you were a Jew walking through Samaria, odds are you would have been murdered by the Samaritans and the bandits that would have existed there. But beyond that, not only the potential of being killed because of who you were and what you believed, you would be considered because you walked amongst a people that were unclean, according to their understanding of the Old Testament law, you would have been considered defiled yourself if you would have survived. 
And so all of that information and knowledge and understanding about the history of the Samaritans begins to shed light on what we begin to see Jesus do as he walks into Samaria. Now, I want you to notice in verse 4, it makes the statement, John says, that he had to pass through Samaria. Now, what's interesting about this is that scholars that are aware of the geography um, basically would have made the argument that Jesus didn't have to do anything. In fact, based on where Jesus was prior to this and where he was ultimately wanting to be, one scholar put it this way, it would have been the equivalent of someone traveling from Los Angeles, California on their way to New York City, and they just had to stop down at the tip of Florida to Miami. Now, we geographically would understand that to be you didn't have to go to Miami to get to New York. There was perhaps a shorter way. And geographically, this is what is taking place based upon where Jesus was in this moment and where he intended to be. And why that's important for us to understand this morning and is noteworthy of us this morning is we see Jesus going to meet lost people on their own terms. We see Jesus going out of his way so that someone who is far from God can come to know the glorious richness of the gospel of Jesus as he has this divine moment with her. And so he passes through Samaria, but notice it says in verse 5, as he gets to this well, it says he is wearied from his journey and he begins to sit at the sixth hour. One of the things that is noteworthy about that little detail that's there that almost perhaps may even seem obscure to you this morning is the timing in which Jesus goes to the well. The sixth hour, what is rendered by that in John's gospel, it just simply means that this Samaritan woman in the heat of the day at noon goes to the well. And the reason why she goes to the well at noon, because this was a woman who knew shame and condemnation deeply. She was scorned and and she was put aside. She lived in the margins of society because of her history and all that she had gone through. And so the only time that she had access to the water was in the middle of the day when no one else would have been present. And so Jesus, in his goodness and in his kindness, he approaches the woman and he asks for a drink for verse eight of the text goes on to tell us his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And so Jesus, he's in this place of weariness and and rest. And so he remains behind. And, And whether it was explicitly because of his weariness or not, we would prefer to understand that as he knew that he had an appointment with a woman at the well that needed to hear about the gospel and the good news and the everlasting joy that comes with the eternal water that he is about to give her. And so verse 8 says, His disciples gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman in verse 9 said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She understands two things about herself in this moment. She's completely self-aware that, that A, she's talking to a Jew, and she is a Samaritan, which was forbidden, and B, that this person she was talking to was a man, and she was a woman. Oftentimes within historical uh, Jewish lore, they would pray a prayer and say, God, thank you that I am not a Samaritan, and, and God, thank you that I am not a woman. The two classes in, in society at this time, which were deemed uh, some of the lowest of the low, and here Jesus, 
goes out of his way to find her and to seek and to save the lost, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Verse 10 says, um, And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you given you the, the living water. The woman says, But sir, you, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? A couple of things are really interesting in this moment. Jesus begins to ask of this woman of a service so that he could ultimately then go and be in service to her. He asked her to help him with with a drink for he is thirsty in this moment and and she's just sort of confused and and almost incredulous because he's asking for this and then he responds by by saying uh, this, this water, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him instead. You see, she didn't understand exactly in that moment the significance of this encounter with the Jesus that was there in front of her. And he refers to himself in this moment in verse 11, this this living water. You begin to see this inclination towards spiritual things that exist within the heart of this Samaritan woman. Can I say to you that one of the the reasons why we understand the gospel, not just a prayer that we pray, but something that shapes us and, and it sends us as it is sending Jesus into Samaria for this woman is because she is inclined in this little bitty statement where she says, but where do you get this living water? He asked her for a, a service first. One pastor many years ago said that many evangelists understand that before they they go and confront people with the gospel, they often ask people for for things and and, and acts of service. And, And what he means by that, that we see displayed here in this moment that exists here within this text is Jesus goes to meet this woman on her terms. Now, think about the implications for our evangelism in our city. I'm not against going and knocking on doors and and going to apartment complexes and asking people if they have encountered the risen Lord. But, But perhaps as we go and do those things, there's another more palatable way to the people in our city that before we go ask those things, that we participate alongside them in the welfare of their city. Meaning we we go and we spend money in their businesses. We ask for services, whether it be food or, or delivery, but we engage our city based on our, our city's terms. And I'm not talking about participating in, in sin that we would see non-believers participate in. I'm just talking about simply in our evangelism, seeking the welfare of the people who live and exist within inside our city. This past week, many of you watched and, and saw that horrific wreck on Interstate 35. And as I saw and, and, and the travesty and, and the death and, and the toll that, that it took with, within all of those people and that pileup that existed, I, I began to ask, well, what, what is it that you would have us do as a church? How can we be the church for our city in these moments? And so I, I sent out a text to two of our, our staff members and I said, who, who can we contact? 
down at, at City Hall? Who can we contact down uh, at, at the police department and ask, how is it that we can serve those that were affected by this wreck and who were injured and, and maimed? And, and how can we be the church in this moment to those people? And, and what I want to tell you today is, while I don't have in this moment all of those details, those details are being formulated and worked on to be able to identify several of these families that have been deeply affected and wounded by what we saw that happened within the geographical boundary of our city. And we're asking God to show and to reveal. And so we're talking to police chiefs and, and sergeants and, and officers and, and hospital administrators and just asking how can we in, in some way get in touch with these families to help. And we hope that in the next week that we're going to be able to give you a list of ways that we as Travis Avenue here in Fort Worth, Texas can serve our city in these terms and in this way to meet the needs, the physical needs so that we can then meet the spiritual needs that exist within the hearts of every man, woman, and child. Verse 12 picks up and he continues and says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? For he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, "Um, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. For the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so Jesus sort of tees her up in, in that moment, but he, he also realizes that she fully doesn't understand the significance of, of what's happening. And so Jesus says in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. The woman answers him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. In this moment, she comes face to face with the reality of her sin. And it's something we as a people need to understand the the gravity of our sin and be reminded of in, in moments like this that our sin... Our failure to meet God's standard, it, it, it's not just a, a, okay, everything's going to be all right, but, but our sin, apart from Christ, it brings judgment on us. Why? Because God is a righteous judge as described in the scriptures. It brings judgment on us because that sin that that we all have that exists within the confines of our heart that physically we act upon, but, but we also feel and think in ways of sin, it offends God deeply because He's holy and He cannot be near it. And so therefore that sin, it separates us from communion and and fellowship with God and and blessings with God. It it puts us at a distance. And and the good news of the gospel and the mission is that through Christ, that bridge has now been brought together so that I can be near God and with God and understand God and know God because of what Jesus did. That He atoned and and He sacrificed for for my sin and, and for your sin. But the thing that is so helpful in this moment with Jesus and this woman at the well, that as we ask this question, what is the gospel? As we we shape our understanding of what the gospel is, just in, in essence, what we know it to be is the gospel is the good news. It's the good news as proclaimed by Jesus, revealed in His Scripture, of the joy and the life that comes to His people. 
the warmth that comes to his people, the kindness that comes to his people, the compassion that comes to his people when we receive by faith this gift, this free gift that cost him everything that is conveyed in his life and in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection. You see, friends, the gospel, when we ask that question, it is not just a series of of steps. It's not a set of principles. It's not a bridge. What makes the gospel the gospel is that it connects us to the reality of a person. And that person is Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is described elsewhere as the gospel of Christ, the the gospel of the glory of Christ in 2 Corinthians 4.4, or as Paul describes in Ephesians 3.8, the gospel of the unsearchable riches of Christ that are before us. You see, one of the things that I love about this interaction with Jesus and this woman at the well is it conveys this idea that the gospel tells us that we don't change so that God will accept us, but but to change, we have to recognize that He has already accepted us. That when we trust by faith that He is who He says He is, that He then brings about that change within our life. And so I'm not working for His approval because I already have it. I'm not working to be recognized because I've already been recognized by Him. Friends, the gospel is the house that we live in. Because when I live in the house of the gospel, when I understand that the gospel permeates every single thing that we do, I understand that I cannot outgrow it. I cannot run from it. I cannot ignore it. That it permeates my entire life's purpose and mission to see people far from God come to know Christ. And the change that God brings His people, that we see this change that's being initiated in the life and in the heart of the woman at the well is revealed in verse 26, where Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am He. I am what you have been searching for your entire life. I am the thing to fill in the hole and the void that exists in your life when you search for that meaning and that existence and that purpose outside of my, Jesus's, everlasting kingdom. Friend, the plea this morning for many of us is not just to answer academically what is the gospel, but it is to implore many of you who do know Jesus to live in the house of the gospel to not move past the gospel, to not ignore it, and to not ever understate its importance. But friend, if you're here today and you're watching online with us this morning and you do not know the glories and the the richness, the immeasurable richness that comes with knowing Jesus personally, that I implore you this morning to receive Him by faith, to trust that He is Lord of all, that He died for your sins to bring you to God. So not that, not that you could uh, earn anything or, or proclaim anything and, and take credit for anything, but so you can look to God and say, thank you for saving me and redeeming me of my sins. Friends, if you want to do that this morning, then in the, in the privacy of your home and your living room, you just simply ask, Lord, I, I, I confess my sins to you. Forgive me of my sins and I call upon the name of the Lord to save me. If you do that this morning, I want to encourage you to, 
if you know of a staff member or you can access our website and travis.org and we have some places on that website where you can fill out just information and you can tell us what you did and and then let us come alongside you in the in the days and in the weeks and the months ahead to to help you walk with Jesus to to not just know about him but but to know him as you walk with him because he's a person and he's real and and, and he is everything that we could hope for him to be this morning. Church, I love you. God bless you. And Lord willing, we'll see each other next week. Amen.